You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. The G7 meeting is about to draw to a close, so we ought to talk about it. And we ought to talk about it with the backdrop of, or rather the foundation of the behavior of one Donald J. Trump, the President of the United States of America. With me is J. Brooke Spector from the Daily Maverick, associate editor at that august institution, and also retired U.S. diplomat. I mean... Jay, we've spoken about Trump on a number of occasions together, but even by his standards, his eccentric, market-moving, almost lunatic irrationality uh, when it comes to his tweets may have, may have even astounded you over the last 72 hours. Well, um, <laughs> very little at this point astounds me by him. Um, I, I, I think the one thing you know, we can be grateful for, perhaps, is that he didn't physically accost anybody. Uh, at, at this particular summit, um, what, uh, the things that were going on within the summit itself, which is an annual gathering of, let's get them right here, Britain, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, the United States, Canada, and the EU representative uh, watching closely at the whole thing. That's seven plus one, right? Yeah. Um, the, the events that took place there were uh, astounding out there in that lovely resort area at Byrates, uh in France, in a palace built by Napoleon III for his bride, Eugenie, when he argued, that is, Trump did, that the issues he wanted covered, world, the world trade structure and the texture of it, were being slighted in instead of niche issues like global climate change. Um, now, you can argue that global climate change probably out-trumps every other possible card that could be played, but never mind. Uh, when it came time for the uh, discussion on global climate change, and especially uh, the, the crisis in the Amazon Valley, uh, Donald Trump boycotted the meeting. Uh, for whatever uh, reason he thought this would be helpful, he simply didn't show up. And so all the photo images show an empty chair where Donald Trump should be sitting, which is pretty astonishing. Um, but this was taking place uh, amidst two other fascinating moments. Uh, Mr. Trump has, over the last couple of days, said any number of different versions of his view on the U.S.-China trade relationship, the so-called trade war, yes. uh, at one point saying that he had second thoughts about uh, invoking new tariffs and then uh, saying, well, he actually thought that maybe he should have made them higher, uh, and his staff and senior officials have been left to scurry around to try to figure out how they can possibly spin all that. Uh, Emmanuel Macron, the French president, meanwhile, invited uh, the foreign minister of Iran for a ministerial meeting, and it is quite clear that the European partners in the G7 uh, and the United States have been at serious odds amongst them themselves over whether or not the uh, Iran nuclear accord could be salvaged with Donald Trump having withdrawn the United States from the accord and the European parties uh, steadfastly trying to stay stay the course with it. Um, I don't suspect that, that the Trump administration 
felt very pleased by the sudden appearance of the Iranian foreign minister. Uh, presumably, without their knowledge, this was going to happen. Uh, in the meantime, just before the summit, we we'll all remember that Donald Trump had had this extraordinary dialogue with the with the uh, with the Danish prime minister over whether or not the Danes would sell the United States the entire island of Greenland. Um, and when they said, no, thank you, this is an absurd discussion, he abruptly canceled the state visit, including the banquet by the Queen of Denmark. Uh, so all that began to set in motion um, a, a summit in which it doesn't appear that there was even the possibility of a joint communique representing the views that all the members agreed with, and this was something of an unusual event, too. The last last year was one that the U.S. refused to sign the, the joint communique. This year, there appears not to have been one uh, much of anything uh, issued in any case. And this, remember, is a meeting between countries that are all democratically elected governments, all presumably stalwartly capitalist in their orientation, and presumably all have a relatively similar view about the importance of an open global trading system. And countries like Russia and China aren't part of this discussion at this point. And you would think that the seven nations in that meeting would have found it relatively easy to agree amongst themselves. It must be, just so, sorry to interrupt you, Jay, but it, it must be very, very difficult okay. for reasonable people. I mean, I, I watched a, a live broadcast between uh, Chancellor Merkel, Angela Merkel, and Donald Trump, and he was sitting there, and he almost seemed, he almost seemed rational at certain times. He was speaking reasonably. His body language towards Angela Merkel was friendly, I mean, friendlier than it's been in the past. Uh, but then he started talking about the next G7 meeting, and he said, it's going to be in Miami. And you could see her visibly freeze when he said that because he was putting forward the fact that the next G7 meeting without any consultation is going to be the Trump resort, which he said is five minutes drive from Miami International Airport, which he, where he talked about the airport for a while. And then everybody said, what have you just said? G7 meeting in Miami at one of your results. And I just... I mean, I don't want to get into it too much, but when he was talking to Prime Minister Abe, he talked about how good he was at golf. He didn't talk about uh, economic issues. He's now talking about Miami golf resorts for the G next G7 meeting. Do you think, I mean, he's never been raveled, but I, do you believe he's, he's unraveling? Um, well, first of all, I want to correct you. It's 10 minutes from the airport, not five. Okay. Uh, no, so, it's actually you know, it's 16 minutes from the airport. But it's a little bit longer drive. Yeah. Uh, now, the host country, and, and they go in rotation, so next year's time is, in fact, the United States. That's not, a, that's not an issue up for consultation. That's just a standard protocol. Yeah. Uh, and the host country picks the location subject to the agreement of the other members. Um, you know, for example, you could, you, you could envision a decision uh, on a host location that has such unpleasant historical echoes for a member or for a participating country that they would say, don't you think we should try something else? Um, imagine, just for the sake of argument, if the French had said, we want to do it at Waterloo, or the British had proposed that, or the Germans. Yes. Uh, even though Belgians are not a member, I mean, you, you could sort of imagine how that would have played out. Um, or, uh, well, 
uh, if the Japanese had said Hiroshima at their turn, might have been an issue as well. But the, the point is that the, the U.S. has the, the, the choice. The unnerving part of it is that he is strongly, that is Donald Trump, whether he's joking or whether he's being serious or whether it's a trial balloon or whether it was just on the top of his head at that moment, he's strongly suggesting using the Doral Country Club that he happens to own uh, as the venue. Now, I'm sure it's a very lovely place, and I'm sure it's got an unparalleled view of the sea, and there's a lovely golf course or two surrounding it, and so forth and so forth. But there's the problem of the hundreds of millions of dollars that would end up being spent on local security there and room rentals and conference venue rentals and so forth, all of which would go into the Trump Organization coffers. And if it's not an outright conflict of interest, uh, it's certainly one of appalling bad taste. Mm. Well, he's, he's, the, he's the master of bad taste. I mean, look at the gold taps in his, in his toilets in Trump Tower. So he didn't turn up for the climate change forum at the G7 today, which was an unforgivably rude. Um, he cancelled a meeting with the uh, Danish prime minister, which, again, is unforgivably rude. Uh, so wh where do we go from here? Does he go away on Air Force One in the next few hours and start tweeting furiously about how badly he's been treated? Because... I can only see that as an eventuality. Well, it doesn't, it's not clear that he's going to treat, he was badly treated, he's going to tweet that he was badly treated since uh, at one point along the way he said he'd been well treated. So now all right, he's, he's known for his hairpin course reversals of his opinion about things, and the U.S.-China spat is, is obviously uh, ex Exhibition A in this regard right now. Uh, he's been back and forth on whether or not the tariffs should be higher or lower or done away with or quintupled or whatever might be on his mind this minute. It is also true that he has an, an extraordinarily um, uh, short span of attention on topics like this. It is further true that he doesn't like these kinds of meetings, and he is, he's on record as stating at some point in the last year or so that he finds meetings like the G7 and the G20 a waste of his time, which, uh, as I'm writing now, his valuable time watching Fox News or sending out tweets or contemplating a golf game, I, I we just don't know. This is part of the job description of modern uh, elected rulers, that you go to these things and you make nice-nice with your friends and erstwhile allies, uh, and even you comport yourself reasonably well with those people that you're having a currently antagonistic relationship with, and it's all part of the process of the of the larger global system. And Mr. Trump doesn't seem to, to a like it or b be very much interested in in this kind of thing. In fact, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not the first, and probably about the fiftieth person to comment that. It's because he treats all of these kinds of relationships as a, as a version of the way he used to carry out property deals and real estate development deals, that you bluff and you bludgeon and you make nice and then you bluff and bludgeon some more until the other side finally either says, okay, you win, we'll do it your way, um, or they stomp off in a huff. Uh, now, neither of those two versions is... Uh, consistent with the way we conduct international relations these days, and so therein is the problem. 
Yeah. Um, do you despair of the unraveling, as I alluded to earlier on, the unraveling of Donald Trump and his administration? Do you despair for the United States economy, uh, the social structure of the United States, and also the world economy? Well, the good news is there's an election in 2020. Um, the good news is that if current uh, polling is accurate, any, any one of a number of potential Democratic candidacies uh, among the people who have declared for their their candidate declared their 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 uh, interest in becoming the nomination and who are competing hard for it, um, all of them, according to recent polling, uh, would be Donald Trump in an election. Now, you know, 13, 14 months away, so you know, who knows? Anything can happen between now and then. Uh, but that is certainly giving the Trump administration pause uh, because the world economy is slowing down and the American economy. Uh, is giving uh, the view of a certain shakiness largely as a function of the, the trade dispute with China, but not entirely. The current economic boom in the United States has been running uh, almost a decade, and that is certainly an unparalleled uh, moment in economic history. And uh, any economist will tell you that after a certain while it runs out of gas, uh, it collapses somewhat or somewhat more, and then you start the healing and rebuilding process. And so there is a fear among Trump administration officials that that, uh, that slippage will come right smack in the middle of the campaign for the, uh, the re-election or, uh, of Donald Trump or the election of a new president in his place. Um, and so that is obviously foremost on his mind, even more, uh, than spluttering about Greenland or uh, the world conspiracy on climate change or whatever crosses his mind this afternoon. Um, but the administration advisors and aides, uh, the, the, the seriously unfortunate part of it is that virtually nobody within his administration has the strength or the independent standing to stand up to him and say, Mr. President, that's just wrong. You can't do that. You can't say that in public or private. Uh, exhibition B in this regard, um, just as the, uh, the uh, G7 summit was winding up, a document was, and commentary was leaked by somebody within the government uh, that Donald Trump has been asking his uh, aides, advisors, and assistants, whether or not um, the U.S. could use a nuclear weapon or two or three to destroy a hurricane on its way to Florida. Yeah, now, he, he did say, actually, that um, you, these things... There. You didn't. You weren't able to make a quick comeback on that one, could you? Well, I, I was watching it today, and I, I, I was stunned when I saw that there were some documents, which were verifiable documents, that said he wanted to drop a nuclear bomb into the eye of a hurricane as it formed off the west coast of Africa on its way to the United States. And this was apparently a serious comment from the President of the United States. It's astounding. Well, I mean, the, the point of that is that the, the physics of it don't work, uh, and this has been this has actually been explored in the early days of nuclear power, uh, when I think there was rather less regard for radiation leakage or uh, international treaties that would prevent such a thing, um, and where there was at least 
some mathematical idea that you could dissipate the eye and therefore the tightest winds of a hurricane by creating counter-energy flows uh, that would uh, disrupt it. Now, the calculations are now that this isn't going to work. And in any case, the damages outweigh the the possibilities. But the fact that it becomes a discussion uh, yet again uh, is a testament to Donald Trump's unwillingness perhaps to focus on the real parts of his job. I don't think he knows what the real parts of his job are. You're, you're, I've interrupted you during writing a piece for dailymaverick.co.za. When will that piece be available, Jay? Well, hopefully tomorrow morning if I ever get to finish it. <laughs> if I ever stop for pestering you. Uh, thank you very much, Jay. That's Jay Brooks Spector, who's an associate editor at the dailymaverick.co.za and also a retired US diplomat. That podcast was proudly brought to you in association with sharenet.co.za. Visit strictlybusinesspodcast.com and subscribe to receive exclusive content straight to your inbox.